The following message, entitled, How to Beat 2016, was given by Bob Mundorf on the 27th of December, 2015. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Let's get started with our message. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump right into it. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace that you give us every day. And Lord, we pray that as we look into your word today, you would give us understanding, and uh, you would help us, Lord, and, and benefit us for this new year, Lord. We want to be encouraged by you and by your word And we declare our dependence upon you. Lord, every good thing comes from you. I cannot preach this message without you and my own effort. So I ask you, Lord, to help me to be able to preach clearly. And I ask you to help us all to benefit from this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this year is winding down. We're almost at the final bell. And we're up against 2016 is right ahead. Now, if 2016 were, were a boxing match, that's what we want to be encouraged in today, how to approach it. Let's say 2015 was a boxing match. How did you do? How did you do? Did you, did you get banged up? Did you get beat around? You might have got knocked out. 2015 was pretty tough for some of us. I know that. There are many bumps and bruises that we might have uh, had from 2015. And... Uh, you might have come out maybe a little better than some of us. I don't know. Uh, different circumstances that we have faced. Really, that would be our opponent as we're looking at this analogy of, of entering the new year as a boxing match. Our circumstances would be our opponent. Um, what am I talking about here? What was our circumstances that we faced that maybe gave us a fight in 2015? Some might say... Some might say it was the devil. Some might say you had a really, really bad spiritual battle. Others might say it was your health. Uh, maybe you had an unexpected tragedy that you went through. It, there could be any number of circumstances that, that we faced this past year. And whatever or whoever that circumstance or those circumstances were, the purpose of this message is that with God, with God, by His grace... And through faith, we can take whatever circumstances come our way. Now, the important thing to note at the beginning of this message is that this doesn't mean that our circumstances will change. This doesn't mean that God's going to deliver us out of our circumstances. It doesn't mean He's going to give us a smooth, easy year ahead. But whatever this year brings, with God, we can face it. And we can get through those circumstances. 1 John 4.4 tells us, Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you believe that? Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And 1 John 5.4 reminds us that everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our trust in Him. Our belief in what He says. So if you believe that, there's, there's hope for you in this message. And I, I believe that. I know many of us here believe that. But God, God can, though He may not change our circumstances, He can change us. He can change us. He can change our perspectives. 
He can change our, our attitudes as we look into this new year. And some of us might need that kind of change from the way we looked at 2015. Our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So today I want to explain the biblical strategy for facing this new year, and really any new year, any new day that we face, any new week, any new month, it's going to be the same strategy for us. The biblical strategy is that how do we beat 2016? We do it by grace through faith. And we'll talk about what that means. So this message is only going to have two simple points. One, we fight by grace. We'll talk about what that means. And two, we fight through faith in God. And we'll talk about what both of those things mean. So first, winning by grace. The cool thing about fighting by grace is that fighting by grace is always God's way of deliverance. Deliverance from the power of sin, deliverance from the penalty of sin, deliverance from trials, deliverance from tribulations. We see this at the very beginning of our Christian lives. We were delivered by grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tell us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. There's our formula. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So when God first saved you, if you have believed the Gospel message, if you've put your trust in Jesus, that happened by God's grace by His enabling power to do that. And that happened through your faith. Now, that's at the beginning of your Christian life. But every day of our Christian lives need to be fought in this same way, by grace through faith. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 tells us, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did we receive Him? We just read that we've received Him by grace, through faith. How should we walk in Him? Same way. By grace, through faith. So whether it's depending on God's grace to save us at our initial conversion, or depending on and believing in God's grace to deliver us from whatever circumstances we are going through in life, it's the same formula. It's the same game plan. We, we fight by grace, by God's grace, through faith in God. Now, let's talk about what grace is, because it's essential to know exactly what grace is, and then we'll talk about what faith is in order to understand this game plan. One of the biggest mistakes that we can make uh, in life, in the Christian life, is to misunderstand what grace is, or to not fully understand what grace is. We can narrow the application down a lot to something that only occurs the moment we were saved. We were saved by grace through faith. But grace, God's grace, if you look at all of the Scriptures where God's grace is mentioned in the Bible, we see that it is so much broader than just that beginning of salvation. God's grace applies to every day of our Christian life. Here's a definition of God's grace. If you look at all of the places where it appears in the Bible, this is a good definition. Grace is divine favor, divine power, divine ability, divine capacity, divine strength, and divine influence on, on our hearts and in our lives. All grace comes to us by God's unmerited favor. 
So we just usually define God's grace as unmerited favor, which it is. But God's grace isn't just unmerited favor. God's grace is all of these things. It's His divine favor and power in our lives. His ability working in and through us every day to fulfill what He has called us to do. That's God's grace. There are so many passages about His grace, far too many for us to look at this morning. But God's grace, for example, in Romans 5.1, Paul identifies grace as that which makes us able to stand. That which makes us able to stand in and through whatever storms your life and the circumstances will throw at you. God's grace in Romans 5.17, it says, God's grace gives us the power to reign in life. God's grace gives us the power to reign in life. So like God told Adam to take dominion over the land and the animals. God wants us to take dominion over whatever trials come our way, whatever temptations we face. And we can only do that through His grace. But we can definitely do that through His grace. Um, The book of Galatians is all about God's grace working in our lives And it says in the book of Galatians that apart from God's grace, we're left to seek righteousness or do good things in our own effort. And that's one of the main points of the book. God doesn't want us as Christians uh, resorting back to our own effort, our own strength, our own ability apart from His grace. Anything that we do, whether it's a terrible sin or even a good religious act, in our own power, is apart from His grace. That's a dead work, according to the book of Galatians. We can do dead works apart from God's grace, and they can look, they can look good. I could stand up here, and, well, I probably couldn't, but you could probably find somebody who was a great orator, a great speaker, that could stand up here and preach a great message in his own power, apart from God's grace empowering him. It's when we... We need to realize our weakness and we need to depend and rely and seek and pray for His empowering ability. That's His grace. That's His grace. So there are, there are two ways really that, that help me to understand His grace. And one is, this is not grace if the pressure is on me. So let's just go back to, to the example of preaching a message. If I put the pressure on myself, I will fail because I can't do that. I'm not naturally inclined to stand in front of people and talk and teach. So I never do this. This is why I always pray for God's grace to work through me. And this is the same for you guys in whatever God has called you to do in your lives. You can do it by your own strength and power, not relying on Him or depending on Him, and the pressure is all on you. Or you can take that pressure off of yourself, which is what he wants. He says, cast your anxieties, cast your cares on him. Cast that pressure on him. And live by his enabling power and his grace. So really, it's not that we lay down and do nothing when we're living by his grace. We still do whatever it is he's calling us to do. But we do it in his power. Here's a verse that I didn't have in my notes, Dave. If you can find... Um, the last verse in Colossians chapter 1, I think it's 29, and put up. Uh, 
This explains that idea very well, very clearly. The last verse in Colossians 1, Paul says this. Paul's an apostle, he's preaching God's Word, he's praying for people, he's ministering to people, and he says, for this I toil, I toil, Paul says, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's the attitude we've got to have. We do what he's called us to do, but we have this this primary emphasis of relying on His power that He works in us. If we forget the B part of that verse and we just go about our Christian life struggling and toiling, that's what it's going to be. You're going to get tired. You're going to get burned out. Whatever it is God's calling you to do, you can't do it alone. We need God's grace. And this is a picture of God's grace right here. So, in order to better understand His grace, let's just take a couple more minutes and look at a couple um, distinctions that I think will clarify this a little better for us. Let's look at the difference between grace and mercy. Because at the beginning, we talked about how those things are, are different. And it's important for us to understand that difference. So, grace and mercy, these aren't the same thing. God's grace and God's mercy aren't the same thing. Um, Sometimes we think they're synonymous. Sometimes we use them like they're the same thing. But God's, God's grace, grace is God's power to get you out of sin. And mercy is His ability to overlook your sin. Remember that. Mercy is God's ability to overlook your sin because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Mercy is forgiveness. And we have God's mercy. We have God's mercy if we believe in Jesus Christ. He will forgive us of all of our sins. But sometimes we get lopsided and we get unbalanced when we think these are the same thing and we just focus on mercy and we call that grace. Grace is the flip side. While mercy is reactive, if we sin, if we mess up, God has mercy for us. But grace is proactive. Grace is God's ability to enable us empower us it's his ability working through us to overcome so that we do not sin so that we don't make mistakes in the christian life so while mercy is reactive grace is proactive and we need to seek god's grace every day this is why hebrews 4:16 tells us that we should we should enter the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need we need both of these things because in and of ourselves, we, we often do things in the flesh and we will fail and we will sin. And then you go to Him for mercy, but you go to Him to receive grace so that that doesn't keep happening over and over again. Sometimes we just focus on His mercy and the, these things keep happening. We need to understand what grace is. Ephesians 2.4, uh, speaking about God's mercy, tells us, but God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. That's the reason. God is compelled by His love for us. He understands that we will fail and sin. He understands it and He loves us. So He has abundant mercy for us. We don't deserve His mercy. But neither do we deserve His grace. And we need to learn to rely on His grace. Mercy is great. I thank God for His mercy but I would rather walk in His grace every day. Because if we're walking in His grace, we won't need His mercy as much. Does that make sense? 
We need to understand the difference between grace and mercy. Here's how this would work, like if, if we're going with our fighting analogy, our boxing match. Here's how a picture of this would work. Um, an illustration. If you are in a boxing match and you don't listen to your trainer in your corner man and uh, you're not doing what he says and you get hit and you go down. He's not, if your corner man throws in, throws in the towel and says, you're done, you are a failure, I'm done with you. You're, this is over. And he walks away. He didn't have any mercy on that boxer. But that's not how God is. God won't throw in the towel and say, I'm done with you when we don't listen to Him and make a mistake. When that bell rings, God will come in and pick us up and take us back to our corner and sit us down. And that's His mercy. We made a mistake. But He will also then encourage us and He'll say, this is what you need to do. I'm going to help you. All you have to do is listen to me. I want you to, I want you to shuffle, dodge, jab, whatever. I don't... Okay, that's the boxing analogy. But in life, God will do that. He will have mercy on us when we fail and He will pick us back up and tell us exactly what to do. And if we just learn to listen to Him and depend on Him and do what He says, we'll be alright. We'll be alright. So, that's the difference between mercy and grace. Both are undeserved. Both are unmerited favor. But mercy is reactive while grace is proactive. Now, Another uh, distinction that might help us is grace versus law. Let's think about the difference between grace and law so we can better understand God's grace. Um, The the Old Testament of the Bible is uh, a covenant that God had made with His people mostly. And in that day, in those days, they were under law. And we can read, we won't look at all the passages, but we can read many places in the New Testament that tells us that after Jesus died and rose from the dead, those believers, those people who believe in Him, us, Christians, we are not under law anymore. We're not under a covenant of law. We're under a covenant of grace. So the Bible makes it very clear there's a covenant of law and there's a covenant of grace. And it makes it very clear that we are under a covenant of grace, not law. So what does this mean? What exactly does this mean for us? Well, I really like the way this Chinese preacher named Watchman Nee from uh, back in the mid-1900s describes the difference. I think I have a quote to project. He says, he says it like this, Law means that I do something for God. And that's what they had to do. They had to keep God's law. Do this, don't do this. But grace means that God does something for me. If God has certain holy and righteous demands which He places upon me, That is law. Now, if law means that God requires something of me for their fulfillment, then deliverance from law, the new covenant, the covenant of grace that we're under, means He no longer requires that from me, but He Himself provides it through me. That's grace. That's grace. It's God working through us to do what we can't do. Maybe the best place in the Scripture that describes this would be in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, at the beginning, talks about the fact that we are no longer under the law as New Testament Christians. That we've died to the law, it says. We're under grace. Now, Paul goes on a little bit later to describe how that plays out in the Christian life when we forget that. 
when we, when we go back to being a law keeper and we try to do it in our own efforts and we try to do it without God's help. And this is what he says, Romans chapter 7. In verse 15 he starts and he says, now think about this when I read this. Think about, think about your life. Think about an area in your life that you just cannot seem to overcome. Think about a struggle. that it's, Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a sin that you just keep on falling into, entering into. Um, I don't know what it is, but it's something that you just fail at all the time. Think about that. Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? See, this is Paul saying, we're not under law anymore, but for some reason I keep going back to the law and trying to live this life, this Christian life, by do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, and I keep failing. And he's telling us what it's like when we operate that way in our flesh, apart from God's grace. So this is a picture of that. This is a picture of a life of just no victory. Now, it may not be your whole life. You might not think, well, I fail in everything. It might just be one or two things that you keep failing in. And God has grace for those things in our lives. We're going to see that as we go on. God has grace. But most generally, in the Bible, as we read about Paul talking about the flesh in these verses, most generally the flesh is... Sometimes it's like sinful cravings or desires that we have. We know those come from our flesh. But really, he just means doing it in your own ability. That's what doing something in the flesh that he's describing here means. Doing something in your own ability, not relying on God, not praying to God, not depending on God for His power to work through you. Doing it in your own effort. So, if you've struggled with a sin in your life or some area in your life that you just can't seem to conquer, you think, I will never get victory in this area. And you try to change and you, you're, you're trying to uh, fix that by saying, okay, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, or do this, do this, or something like that. God says, grace, the approach of grace takes a different approach. I want to try to get really practical here with us so we understand. Law says, I'm not going to do that. So let's just say maybe you, uh, you have an anger problem or you have a lust problem or you have a drug addiction or you're an alcoholic or you just feel like you're a failure. And you want to change that. Let's go with an anger problem. I think a lot of us can relate to this. And you just keep saying in your mind because... Like I said a couple weeks ago, we, we talk to ourselves more than anyone in your mind. Like, really, you're talking to yourself more than anyone else is talking to you. You're listening to yourself more than anyone else is listening. And so you just say, I can't do this. I have an anger problem. It's just how I am. I'm just an angry person. 
and you're focusing on that anger problem, and then you try to stop, and you're like, okay, don't be angry, don't be angry, and someone's getting all up in your face, and they're swearing at you, and, or your kids are being uh, really, uh, they're trying, and whatever. You're, <laughs> you're thinking, don't be angry, don't be angry. That's, that's law. That's a law approach. You're going to fail. Listen, I can t- don't think of a pink elephant right now. I guarantee most of you thought of a pink elephant. If you do that, you're putting yourself back under law. That's not grace. God's grace, God's grace, remember, is His enabling power, His divine favor, His capacity to do what it is He's calling us to do. And we can either think about our own failure and law, or we can think about God's grace. Here's what that looks like. Instead of thinking, I'm an angry person, I'm not going to be angry. No, we think, I am perfectly righteous in God's grace because of Jesus Christ. And He is kind and He is gentle. And because of God's grace, God the Father sees Jesus Christ when He looks at me. And He not only sees Him when He looks at me, but He gives me His divine power. Listen, the Apostle Paul got this right. This is how we need to to transform our minds and think. Instead of thinking, I'm an angry person, I'm a drug addict, I need to stop. No, the Apostle Paul, Galatians 2.20, we need to think like him. He said in Galatians 2.20, actually, Dave, could we have verse 19 and 21 added? Let's look at this whole context because this is, this is gold. Galatians 2, can we do 19 through 21? He says, for through the law, Paul says, I died to the law. I died to, don't do this, don't do that, do that, i got to do better, blah, blah, blah. I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. Now he's doing this positive biblical self-talk. I'm not talking about like mumbo-jumbo. I'm talking about truth that you tell yourself. Paul's doing it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. That's what we're talking about. How do you nullify the grace of God? For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Listen, Jesus Christ died not only to forgive us from the penalty of our sins, but to give us power over our sins so that we can yield surrender in our flesh and allow Him to live through us. That's the only way you're going to have victory in your Christian life. Now, you may be able to do things. You may be, you, maybe you're just not an angry person. Maybe like Mark has talked before about his dad, J.J., as an example when he quit smoking cigarettes. Um, you know, some, some of you might have an addiction to cigarettes and you just want that nicotine. And Mark said that, that J.J. just quit smoking. And he put him down and he said, I'm not going to do that anymore. And he said that sometimes J.J. would, I think if I'm thinking right, he said sometimes he would think, why can't you do that? Why can't you quit? It was easy. Well, maybe he just had a more natural inclination to do that a little easier than, than you. That's, sometimes we can do things. Some, some of us can do things maybe apart from God's grace better than other people. But it doesn't matter. 
Because we need to rely on God's grace whether we can do it or whether we can't. That's what he says in his word. That's what he wants us to do. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying right here. Especially if you're weak in an area. That's when you really need to rely on God's grace. And we need to consider ourselves dead to sin, dead to the law, alive to God. And remember that it's no longer, it's no longer you or I who are fighting this battle. It's Jesus Christ in us. That's what it's all about. It's, see, this whole thing about fighting by grace can be confusing because we want to do something all the time. Just tell me what to do. Give me a list. This is more of a mindset. This is more of a paradigm shift. This is more of a perspective change. This is like the pressure's off of me, God, because I'm putting the pressure on you. And I'm going to do whatever it is that, that, I, that you're calling me to do or not do, but the whole time, I'm putting the pressure on you. This is the yoke thing that we talked about a few weeks ago when Jesus said, take up my yoke. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is putting the yoke, if you weren't here, is the thing that uh, you know two horses or cows or oxen put their necks in, and that, that way they pulled together. This is fighting by grace is being yoked together with Jesus. The Scriptures talk a lot about grace working in that way. The pressure's off. He's there. He's going to help us. Here's, a, here's maybe a better example, um, just so we can understand what this means. I need, to, I need to get moving. But here's a better example. You all know, most of you probably know, the story of David and Goliath in the Bible. David, a uh, young man, Goliath, a huge giant. And uh, God needed someone to face Goliath and kill him because Goliath was going to try to kill all of God's people. And David, uh, he was not nearly as big as Goliath. And if it was David fighting in his own strength, he would have been crushed. But David didn't fight in his own strength. David knew that in his own strength he couldn't take Goliath. And here's the thing. David didn't compare that giant with himself. He compared the giant with God. That's what it means to approach your circumstances, your trials, your temptations in life by grace. You don't compare them to yourself because they're probably going to defeat you. Or if you can take them yourself, you're probably going to be just become proud. No, neither way. We approach it by God's grace. We compare it with God. That's exactly what we need to do when we face the giants, especially those that are more powerful than us. Ephesians 6.10 says this, when it talks about putting on the armor of God as we face whatever comes at us in life. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. His might. He's the one that defeated Goliath, and he used David. He's the one that will defeat your circumstances, and he will use you, but it's him, it's his strength, it's his might. The key is believing that the power of God is bigger than whatever it is you're facing, and it is. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you believe that, then you have hope. 
Imagine a, a world-class trapeze acrobat. And he's up you know, high on his trapeze doing all kinds of stunts and amazing tricks. And we might think of grace as the safety net below him that catches him if he falls. And grace is. The, the Word of God says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Grace will pick you back up when you fall. It is a safety net, but it's so much more than that. Grace is there to catch us and keep us safe, but God doesn't want us to just hang out on the safety net. Grace is there so that we can swing over temptation, do amazing and extraordinary things that we could never do in our own power. I mean, if you could just catch a glimpse of what God could do in your life, if we can just access and walk in His grace, we would be amazed. We would be amazed. The Bible says uh, that He can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine because of the power at work within us. Far more than you can imagine. This is true. This isn't just positive thinking. This is based on the concrete realities of the truth in God's Word. This is true. God's grace. Now, here's the thing. You can't have God's grace unless you believe in God's grace. That's why we fight by grace through faith. By grace through faith. How do we receive His grace? The means to receiving His grace is faith. Faith just means believe. We believe in God's grace. First thing you have to believe, you have to believe something about yourself and you have to believe something about God. The thing you have to believe about yourself is that you can't. The thing you believe about God is that He can. Let me show you this from God's Word. James chapter 4, verse 6. You want God's grace? He has a lot of it to give out. And this is what He says in James 4, 6. But He gives more grace. That means He gives abundant grace. He gives as much grace as you need. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. If you're proud, you're not asking for grace anyhow. Because you're like, I don't need grace. You know, I, I can do this myself. But if you're humble, you know that you need God's grace. The key to receiving God's grace is being humble. What does humble mean? Well, in the original language of the Bible, the word humble means it's the word tapinos, and it means something like stuck. Literally, this is the word for when you can't even get up off the ground. That's what it means. You can't even get up off the ground. You're stuck. If you realize that you need God because you can't, and you believe that He can, you're being humble. And you're putting yourself in a position to receive abundant grace from Him. Abundant grace. God gives grace to the humble. But He opposes the proud. Does this mean we have to walk around like we're defeated? Like, oh, I just, I'm, I'm such a failure. No. No. You have to acknowledge that you can't. But that's not your focus. Your focus isn't on yourself, remember? Your focus is on God's grace. That's why the Scripture says... In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. See, if you understand God's grace, you will have strong confidence. Look, I, 
I couldn't get up here and talk to people without God's grace. I froze up in 10th grade in the school library giving an oral book report because in and of myself, I don't like talking in front of people. But I don't depend on my own self to do this. I depend on God's grace. And you can depend on God's grace to do whatever it is you think you can't do because He will enable you to do it. If He's called you to do it, He'll enable you to do it. It's just that switch of our mindset. Okay, I'm taking the pressure off myself. And I'm going to put that on God. Because I believe that He's going to do it through me and for me. That's His grace. It comes by faith. It comes by faith. Faith means believing that what God says is true. So there's two, there are two approaches to this um, that, that I could think of. One is the wait and see approach. Okay, God, I'm going to test this. I'm going to test what Bob's saying. I'm going to ask for your grace in this area. Now, I'm going to wait and see. That's not believing. That's not believing. Look at the Scripture. Mark's, Mark chapter 11, verse 22, 24. Look at what Jesus said. I'm going to show you what faith is. And I'm going to show you how to get God's grace. Jesus said in Mark 11:24. I'll read it. He said, Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer... So, okay, you're asking God, give me grace in this area of my life because I can't do it. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. Not that you will receive it, that you have received it. And it will be yours. This is true. Now, there are people that abuse this verse... And they'll tell you things like, if you just believe that God's going to give you a private jet and it's going to be in your driveway when you get home from church today, that it'll be there. Well, God never promised us a private jet, people. But God promises us His grace. He promised us His grace many times in the Scriptures. And I can tell you that this is true because Jesus does not lie. If you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. This is how we receive God's grace. This is claiming God's grace. Not doubting it. Having assurance. Doubt is the opposite. Doubt is unbelief. This is the way we get God's grace. So whatever it is that you're facing, that God, maybe you feel like He hasn't helped you with this. Well, it's probably according to the Scriptures because you're not believing that He's going to help you with this. Let's look at one more verse on this. Mark 11. Actually, this is a verse right before Mark 11:23. When we think about doubt, here's what doubt looks like. Jesus said, "Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him." Doubt disqualifies us from receiving God's grace. Now you might think, well, I don't know how to have more faith. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I have enough faith. See, in the Scripture, there, there, there are not degrees of faith. Jesus tried to just destroy that idea when He said, listen, if you have the faith of the size of a mustard seed, the tiniest little bit of faith, that you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll move. Listen, if you don't feel like you have enough faith or you're having a hard time believing Jesus, just pray what another man in the New Testament prayed. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
and he'll give you faith. It's not something that you have to work up. It's not something you have to work up. It's just believing what God says. And I can tell you that you can believe him because God cannot lie. This is the way we receive his grace, by faith. Uh, look at 1 John 5, 4. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. So, what's he going to say? This is like, this is unbelievable to me. You would think he would say, Jesus, or God, or God's grace. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our believing Him. Look, it's just a matter of believing what God says. Is He trustworthy? Is God trustworthy? Yes. He is trustworthy. This stuff that we're learning, it goes against our natural way of thinking. But you can believe God. And if you do believe God, you will receive His grace. Now, if you're thinking, okay, God, I don't know if I can believe you. I don't even know if I want your grace. Just say, God, just be honest with Him. I, I need your grace. I don't believe you, so I need your grace to believe. I can't do it. That's it. That's all it is. I can't. You can. I can't believe you. I need your help. He'll do it. Maybe you're in some kind of sin that you just, in your flesh, love. Okay? Maybe you don't want to change. Maybe you love this little hidden secret sin that you're doing. And you don't want to say, God, give me grace to overcome this. So, be honest with them. God, I don't want to change. I need the grace to want to change. I need the grace to, to desire something different because I know in my spirit this is wrong. But I don't want to. My flesh is really strong here. Give me the grace to want to change. We need to just be totally honest with God because He knows more about you than you know about yourself anyways. But it's being humble and it's believing. So much more to say, so little time. The Scriptures talk about the manifold grace of God, the varied grace of God. That means God has grace for every single kind of area that you need grace for in your life. The manifold grace of God. It comes in this direction, this direction, this direction. Difficult areas. I end it with Hebrews 4.16 because this is key. This is key. This is how you receive God's grace in a nutshell. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Two things that you get at God's throne when you go there with confidence. You receive mercy because... You failed. I failed. We've all failed. And the fact that we receive mercy just cancels out like approaching His throne to get grace by something good we've done. You don't go to His throne and say, I'm good enough, God. I deserve Your grace. Now give it to me. You go to His grace to get mercy because we failed. And find grace to help in time of need. Grace isn't a reward for good behavior. Grace is so that you can have good behavior in the Lord. It, de it doesn't depend on your performance. And we can draw near with confidence. It says, let us then with confidence draw near. Our confidence is in nothing less than the blood of Jesus Christ 
that he shed for you and I on the cross when he died because we're failures. And he rose from the dead to give us new life so that we can live this life that we can't live in and of ourselves. That's what our confidence comes by. Him, not us. So, we approach His throne based on Jesus Christ, and when we do that, we can be confident. We can be confident that we'll receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. 2016, okay, is coming up. It's a, it's a fight, and if you're looking at it like a fight, it has 365 rounds. Every day is a round. And we need to, we need to seek His grace every single day this is the passage I want to end with. I want to end with 1 Samuel chapter 17 because this is the attitude that you and I should have when we face this new opponent every day. This is the attitude that David had when he faced the nine-foot-something-tall Goliath. He did a little trash-talking. It's okay to trash-talk a little bit when you're talking about your circumstances or the devil. David said this, Then David said to the Philistine, that's the giant, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. For the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hand. Let's pray. Father, give us this confidence in You as we face whatever it is in our lives that come against us. Lord, we know that we can't in and of ourselves. And if any of us feels like we can, Lord, forgive us of our pride. Help us to learn to walk by Your grace. And Lord, I pray for each and every person here that You would build their faith in the very truth of Your Word. You cannot lie. You are for us. You are not against us. Lord, Your grace is not earned. It's unmerited favor. And no matter what we've done in this life, if we look to You, You give it to us. We thank You for that. We seek Your grace and we ask for Your help for this new year. In Jesus' name, Amen.